You're listening to the Pay Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded April 14, 2015. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret about how we do our podcast here at Pay Friends Church. Um, we don't have the ability to record our sermons um, live right now. Um, so what I do is I re-record the sermon on Mondays. Um, and I do that for a couple reasons. One is I understand that um, there's some people in our congregation who can't make it on Sundays all the time. Um, and I, wanna, I want them to be able to hear the word that is spoken and proclaimed. Um, there's some people who are bound um, because of illness. I know there's one couple in our uh, congregation who they run their own business. It's how they make their, how they make a living. And some and sometimes they just have to work on Sundays. They don't get to choose when they work. It's it's always their business. That's just kind of the nature of the business they're in. And so so this podcast is for them. But then also. Um, because of this great technology of podcasts and the internet, that we as the church, we need to utilize that, and we believe that we can reach people far beyond um, our our community of Capay here in uh, Northern California. Um, you know, people all over the world can find this podcast, and that's amazing um, that we live in a time uh, where we can share um we can share what's going on here at Capay Friends Church all over the world. Um, and that I think that's that's encouraging. That's amazing. And wherever you are, um, I encourage you um, to be part of a church. You need to be part of a church body. Um, we need to be together to discern what God is speaking to us. We, we need to do that in community. Uh, we need to be part of a church body um, to hold each other accountable. Uh, and, and I also want to emphasize that while it's important to be part of a church, what happens on Sunday morning should never be the main thing. Are you with me? Like Sunday morning is not all about hearing a preacher singing some songs and then you go about your way, but Sunday morning should be a continuation of the worship that's gone on all week. Here at Capay Friends Church, our mission that 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 we share often is we are to love God, love people, and love life, and that's not something we just do when we're when we step onto the church property, but that's that's what we're called to do wherever we are, um, at our jobs, with our families, at our schools, um, with the people we don't like. Um, we're called to love God, love people, and love life, and we believe. Um, that God is bringing renewal here in our community, that God desire is for reconciliation and for healing. Uh, and, and so we are called to be the church um, everywhere we go. It's not something that happens on Sunday morning. So with that said, um, I encourage you to be part of a church body, but never assume that Sunday morning is the main thing. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're driving in your car, I pray that, that you feel encouraged and strengthened and challenged. Maybe you're listening at home, um, sipping coffee, or maybe you're listening to it at work. Um, I pray that this is a way that you feel encouraged um, wherever you are. So here we go. We're, we're continuing 
into Acts uh, chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 51 today. Now, we started in Acts back in January. It is now April. And uh, we took a few weeks off uh, for Easter. We celebrated Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday. And so we're continuing on back in Acts. So let me give you kind of a recap of, of uh, what, what happened the last time we were in Acts. We were introduced to this guy, Stephen. And Stephen was chosen among his fellow Greek believers because he was a man full of faith and that he was commissioned by the apostles and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and he was having this dialogue, this conversation with this synagogue uh, called the Synagogue of the Freedmen who consisted of people who were once slaves by Rome. And they all kind of had this in common. They had their own synagogue, and, and they were in disagreement with Stephen over who Jesus is, over whether he resurrected or not. And they were furious that they could not, no matter how much they argued, no matter how much they dialogued, they realized that Stephen was right. Or I don't know if they actually came to the realization that Stephen was right, but they never felt like they could make headway with Stephen. And so as a result, they accused Stephen as blasphemy against God and against Moses. Now, if there's one thing that you never want to do um, as a faithful Jew is to speak blasphemy against God and against Moses. Actually, in Leviticus, it it lays, um, if somebody does that or continues to do it, um, that you can actually be stoned. And so this is where we are. Now I want to kind of I want to tie in a little bit where we were on Easter Sunday. Um, on Easter Sunday we talked about resurrection, and that resurrection is this proclamation of the way the world is. It's it's a reality that we walk in. It's the reality of the way the world is that death has been defeated. The powers of this world are no longer that Jesus has raised from the dead, and this is the hope for all of us. Now, this is the hope of the early church. This is, the, this is what they proclaim, that there's this new way the world is. Now, Jesus was executed by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was large. It was huge. It stretched from England to India. And it was ruled by the Caesars who believed that they were bringing the peace of Rome. And they would do this by... Um, conquering lands, and if you did not, if you did not go with the Caesars, that you might find yourself hanging on a cross. And the cross was designed to make people suffer for as long as possible, because you can't just kill people, but you have to make an example out of them. And it's the Roman Empire that that executed Jesus, and and their proclamation that was that they were bringing peace to the world. And so now you get this image of this church that are proclaiming this new way the world is that Jesus has resurrected. And, and I love this scene that we get in, in Acts where it talks about how, how all the believers had everything in common and they were selling their land and, and bringing all that they had and they were pooling it all together and it says that nobody among them had any needs. And, 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 and we have to look at this in light of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the empire that was supposed to provide for all your needs, all that you needed, all the peace would come from Rome. But here's these people of God who are living in this new way that the world is, and you look at the peace that is brought. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 51. Now, Stephen, after he was accused of being of accused of blasphemy uh, and speaking out against God, he is has the opportunity um, by the high priest. They, they ask him, is this true? And in chapter 7, he gives this long speech, and I encourage you to read it on your own. It's powerful. And he, and he starts with Abraham and how God is faithful to Abraham. And he talks about how Moses delivered God's people out of Egypt, and God was faithful through Moses. And, and God establishes this covenant with his people, and yet the people... They sin. They they go after other gods. They seek. They want to be like the other kingdoms around them. And he talks about how Solomon he built the temple. And he says, and he and he quotes Psalms where where it says, "Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me?" says the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen's point is, how can you contain God? How can you contain God to a temple, the creator of the universe? How can we ever contain God? We can't. And this is how he concludes his speech. This is where I want to pick up. Chapter 7, verse 51. Follow with me. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Now, these are bold words that Stephen says. He first, he calls them stiff-necked people. Now, have you, have you ever woke up in the morning and you, you've slept on your pillow funny, you slept funny, and you're unable to turn your head? Isn't that just the worst feeling? You're trying to back out the driveway and you, you have to like literally turn at your torso because you can't turn your, your neck. It's almost like, um, you know, I love the Christopher Nolan Batman series, like his first bat suit. You notice when he fights, like he has to turn his whole body. He can't turn his head. It, 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 he calls them stiff neck people. You guys are unable to turn. You're unable to turn and see what's really going on. And then he goes on and he calls them, you guys are uncircumcised. Your hearts and ears are, are uncircumcised. Now, circumcision um, was God's commandment to Abraham was this is what's going to make you distinct. And that's the key thing about circumcision. This was one of the markings um, of, of the Jewish people that, that they're circumcised. This is what brought, made them distinctive in the world. So what he's saying when your hearts and ears are uncircumcised, what he's saying is you are just like everybody else. There's nothing distinctive about you. You're not different than Rome. You're not different than anybody else, but your hearts and ears, it looks like everybody else. You behave the same way. And then he goes on and he calls them murderers. Now this has been a theme in Acts. Whenever they present the gospel message, they proclaim that you killed Jesus. You murdered him. 
And I think one of the reasons why they do this is to point out this rare, look how far, look at the point where we are, where we're murdering people. Isn't this a sign that maybe things are not right? Maybe this is not the way we're supposed to be. We have this history of killing prophets, and now we've gotten to the point where we've murdered and killed the Messiah. Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen, he calls them stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and murderers, and the result is they're furious at him. I have to say, we, we kind of saw this coming, right? And so they're gnashing their teeth, and they're angry, and they're furious at Stephen, and then he goes a little further, and he proclaims that he sees this vision. He says, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Now, some scholars say the reason why Jesus is standing and not sitting at the right hand of God is because it's Jesus welcoming Stephen in. The resurrected Jesus is welcoming Stephen in to this kingdom. And when he says this, they're really disturbed and they're angry, and so they, they respond the way four-year-olds do, right? They, they plug their ears and they yell at the top of their lungs so they don't hear the words coming out of Stephen's mouth, and they rush at, him, rush, rush at him and drag him out of the city to stone him. And it's at this point we're introduced to this guy named Saul. And it says that they laid their coats at his feet. So we get this image that this guy Saul must be important. He must be somebody significant. Now a few things that we we notice about this scene is that we, we kind of get this image that it's now like this mob mentality. Um, there, it was usually customary when somebody was stoned was that it, it didn't usually happen with a mob rushing them and dragging them out but there would be opportunity for the one who's convicted to confess their sins. But, but what we see is these people, they just rush him, drag him out, and, and they, they, they take justice into their own hands. And they lay their coats at, Stephen's, at um, sorry, Saul's feet because, you know, it's easier to, he- to hurl rocks when you're not confined to your suit, to your, to your suit jacket, right? And so they go... And they stone Stephen. And then while they're stoning Stephen, he echoes the words of Jesus. Forgive them. Do not hold this against them. It goes on to chapter 8. We'll we'll get back to that in a moment. And Saul approved of their killing him. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So what we see here is the same coercive violence that the Romans use is being used by Saul. And it's this is how the church is scattered. And notice the detail it gives. It says that they went to Judea and Samaria. Now those towns probably sound familiar because in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, way back in January when we started this series... Jesus tells his disciples that you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And up until this point, Jerusalem has been the hub. They, they've been worshiping in the temple and you kind of get this image that, that they see themselves as, as, as just a new sect of Judaism where it's still... All this stuff still happens into the temple. And Jesus says, no, you're going to go out to, to the ends of the earth, to Judea and Samaria. And I don't know if they actually imagined how that was going to happen. And so, so God says it's going to happen, and so it happens. And the way that it spread is because they began to face persecution. And now Saul believes down to his very bones that he was making the world a better place through this coercive violence, through throwing people in prison, through the stoning of Stephen. This is similar to how Rome used coercive violence to proclaim the peace of Rome. As we, the church today, what are the ways that we are tempted to use power and coercion to get our way? Maybe, we are not stoning people. Maybe we are not crucifying people or, or throwing people into prison. But maybe it happens in more subtle ways. I had a pastor friend of mine who started at a new church, and he was a few weeks in when a predominant member came up to him and leaned into his ears and said, I want to remind you that I write the checks that pay your salary. And what he's really saying is, I want you to know that I'm the one who allows you to eat. I'm the one who puts the gas in your car. I'm the one that allows you to go on vacation. I'm the one that, that helps you pay your bills. So if you don't do what I want, it might stop. Now that's pretty extreme, but that's coercion, isn't it? Maybe oftentimes in the church, I think we get into ruts because we are unwilling to do what God is calling us to do because we are fearful of the few who might withhold or leave if they don't get their way. I don't know how many times I've sat in meetings where, we, where, we're, where we're trying to discern what it is that God is calling us to do and, and we begin praying and listening and and people throw out ideas and and i think this is what god is telling me and then the conversation it always turns to what do you think so and so will think will this be okay with them and 
and and the reason why they we we ask those questions is not because we think those people are hearing differently from God, but we're so worried about what other people are going to think, how other people are going to respond, and that we might not get their approval. And some people use this as power in the church to to stop the movement of God. Now, I think it's sin on both parts, right? It's sin, number one, to use power and authority that that we have an influence to stop people from being faithful, doing what, um, what we believe God is calling us to do because it's, it makes us uncomfortable. But it's also a sin on the part of, of church leaders who we believe God is calling us to do something and we're so worried about what other people might say. We're so worried about their coercive nature that we'll stop and say, okay. Or maybe this plays out in our relationships. Imagine the husband and wife who just have an argument. And one of the things the husband realizes the way that his wife feels loved is spending quality time. And so because he's angry, he's going to use his power over her and hold back from quality time. Or maybe the wife will start hiding finances from her husband. And they'll begin withholding and using the power that they have. You see, this coercive nature exists. This is the way people sometimes try to get their way in relationships in the church. And yeah, we might not be murdering people, we might not be stoning people, we might not be throwing people in prison, but we need to be reminded of the way that Christ loves us, that he sacrificed himself for us. May we as the church be reminded that God is God and Jesus is Lord here and now, and we are to be reflection of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. Death and coercion have been put to rest because Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that means that renewal is here and now. And so this morning, I would like us to reflect on Stephen's words this morning. He understands that God is about renewal, and what does he do when the powers that be using the coercive nature are trying to put him to death what does he say he says lord do not hold this sin against them the words that stephen uses what stephen says are not coercive but they reflect that of christ they reflect renewal It's what Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, help us to forgive those who trespass against us. Stephen is practicing resurrection right there in the present, in the midst of facing death. Those are words that give life and renewal in a dark and coercive world. 
So let us not be stiff-necked. Let us be ready to turn. May our hearts be circumcised and distinctive and reflect that of Christ. May we forgive those who trespass against us, and may we be a reflection of renewal that has been brought about by Christ Jesus. Let us not give in to using the coercive power that we have, but may we humble ourselves. And may we be like Christ. And may we remember the way that Christ loved us.